I don't know if everybody here this morning has read the Bible, but I'll tell you this. If you'll open it and start reading it, you'll find out two things. First of all, you'll find out that you can understand it. God didn't write the Bible to theologians. He wrote the Bible to us, the common people, ordinary garden variety folks. He wrote the Bible so that everyone could understand it. That's the first thing. You'll find that you can understand it. And we've seen that in Spain. Hundreds of people over the years. We've been... They don't read the Bible. But when they finally take it in their hands and open it up and begin to read it, they get this surprised look on their face. They can understand it. And it begins to speak to their hearts. And so that's the first thing you'll find, that you can understand it. And the second thing you'll find is that you don't know how you lived so long without it. Because not only can you understand it, but it speaks to you. It speaks to me. It goes, it's not a math book. It's not a history book. It's not a science book. It's a book that speaks to the heart. And so that's why we study the Bible. This morning we were thinking about, in the Lord's Supper, we were thinking about how the Lord uh, touched that leper. And saved him. I was thinking about that, how he cleansed that man. And you know, um, this verse came to mind in 1 Peter 2. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. I was thinking about that verse while we were talking about and thinking about the leper, how the Lord touched him. And he, he was unclean. Nobody could touch a leper. That's why they stayed away from them. And uh, the Lord touched him and healed him. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And the Lord said, I'm willing. And you know, the other side of that question that we were thinking about this morning, we have it here in 1 Peter 2, 24. The Lord not only touched the leper, and made him clean. And we were talking about that as a picture of how he reaches out to us as sinful human beings and touches us and cleanses us, makes our lives clean. But the other side of that question is that for the Lord to do that, he had to take away what was unclean. He took it. And that's what it says here in First Peter 2.24. He bore our sins. He didn't just touch us. He didn't just rub some spiritual soap on us or touch us in abracadabra and it disappeared. The Bible says that the way he did away with our sin was he took those sins on himself. He took them off of us and put them onto himself and he suffered for our sins there. That's what it says. He bore our sins, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. When he suffered on the cross, that's where our sins were. They were on him. Isn't it a wonderful thing? You discover that in the Bible, you'll never find it anywhere else. That someone took all of your leprosy, all of your sin, all of your spiritual sickness, all of your fault, all of your failings, all of your imperfections, all of your rebellion. He took everything that's wrong about us and he bore it on himself there. He, he took it as a burden and he suffered at the cross of Calvary. As for our side, it's just when we believe, He touches us, He comes into our lives, and He cleanses us. And we have the cleansing side, but a lot of times we don't think about what that means for us. That all of that that was in us and on us, every one of us, multiplied by millions of people, all of that went on to Him when He suffered at the cross of Calvary. So I just wanted to complete that meditation this morning thinking about our wonderful Lord and what he took on himself you know a person who really is a true believer can't pass a day of his life without being thankful thankful for being cleansed and every time we think about all that he put on himself all that he took on himself in order to cleanse us our hearts are just full of gratitude he's really wonderful well this morning we're going to start off in the book of John first uh, chapter of John we're going to be thinking about, and Dean's already figured it out, we're going to be thinking together this week about the life of John the Baptist. 
I gave Dean a clue yesterday. He asked me for a clue, so I gave him the clue was the incredible shrinking prophet. And he figured it out. When he walked in this morning, he had that big smile on his face. He already had it figured out. The incredible shrinking prophet. If you haven't figured out why we called him that, you'll see it this week. Sometimes God wants to give us a blessing, and we're not ready to receive it. And that's one of the things we're going to learn as we look at the life of John the Baptist. Not that he wanted to receive a blessing and couldn't, but there were a lot of people around him to whom God was about to send the biggest blessing ever. But the people were not ready to receive it. And that's why John came. Now let's read. It says in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might be saved or might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. We come down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. Let's pray. This morning, Heavenly Father, we come into your presence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks for him, because it is only because of him that we are here together. And this is the greatest thing about any of us this morning, that we know the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is in our lives. We give you thanks for the opportunity we have to meet together and to look into the Word of God. And we just pray now as we look into the Word that the Spirit of God will speak to our hearts, that He will guide us. We know that without you, Lord, and apart from you, we can do nothing. We are nothing and have nothing in ourselves. We come in complete dependence upon you. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired this book, and we know that He can open our eyes and give us understanding and speak to our hearts. And so we pray that you would be pleased to fulfill your promise, to meet with us, to be with us, and to teach us from your word as only you can and bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. For you have said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things might be glorified through Jesus Christ. And this is what we pray. This morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God loves to bless. And people like to have the blessing. People like to receive good things and blessings from God. But they're not always ready to do that. And the story of John the Baptist, and I love uh, character studies. And sometime maybe we'll uh, give you, I have a few notes written somewhere that I can give you about how to study a character in the Bible. Uh, But the character studies are wonderful because they make the message of the Scripture practical to us. They show us that the things that the Scripture teaches us in the doctrinal passages where it tells us where they lay out doctrine and precept, line upon line, precept upon precept, The people in the scriptures uh, who come out of its pages for us show us how that works. And they tell us that the messages of the scripture are not theoretical. That God intends for us to live this way and that real people like us have lived, have walked with God, have had fellowship with God, have had blessing, they've had struggles with sin and overcome it. 
And that's one of the great things about the Bible. You know, it's not a book written by men when you begin to read it. And you see that when it talks about the people that we would consider heroes, it talks about all their faults too and failings. It doesn't embellish the picture. It shows us what they were really like and how God worked in their lives. And we see that as we look through the Scripture. And we like it, or we should, because that means that God can work with people like us. Andrew Murray, who wrote many uh, books about Bible characters, I don't know if you can still find those, don't know if they're still in print, but uh, that would be a wonderful thing to do if you could find them. There's a whole collection of books. I couldn't tell you offhand how many. I can't remember if it's six, seven, or eight, but he wrote about all uh, different characters in the Bible. And one of the things he said in uh, the first of his books that I read, which was about Moses, he said, one of the mistakes that we make when we study Bible characters is we put them in a completely different category from ourselves. And we say, well, but that was a special person who had a special character, who had a special calling, who had a special grace from God, and God did something to him in a special way, and he's in category A and I'm in category B. I'm just an ordinary garden variety person. I have to get up and be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm not living out on the mountain where Moses is. So Moses can't relate to me, and I can't relate to him. I can admire him. That's like saying, we're going to go out and play basketball this week, I hope. I brought my ball with me, and we're going to find out who talks trash and who plays ball. (laughs) But I ain't Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal. He's in category A, and I'm in category B, C, D, Z, or whatever it is. I love the game, love the play and the exercise, but... You see, and that's the way we think about it. We look at these people in the Bible and we say, well, I can study that and be interested in that and read the history of it, but it doesn't apply to me because I'll never be that. I can't be that. He's, he and I are totally different. That person and I don't have anything in common. We're, that person and me, we're just so totally... Well, that's the mistake that Andrew Murray said we make. When you study the Bible and you study Bible characters, you're reading about people that are just like us. The difference between those people and us is not that God gave them something he doesn't want to give us. The difference between those people and us is not that they had talents that we don't have. The difference between those people who we call the heroes and the great men and women of faith in the Bible, the difference between them and us is this. That they believed God. It wasn't theory to them. It was practice. And we're often content to leave it in the realm of theory. In the realm of history. Instead of saying. God by your grace. I want everything I can have. Of the good. That was in the life of this person. You help this person. I want to I be like that. I'm not going to go up on the mountain. And get the ten commandments. We're not not talking about repeating the details of the history. But we're talking about walking with God and having real fellowship with Him. And knowing His will. And having spiritual power in our lives. And being a blessing. And being able to live that happy life of obedience to God. And you've been studying about that in your Bible memory class. And being able to serve God. John the Baptist was a servant. So, as we look into the life of John, and we'll try to remember this whenever we study a Bible character, let's take it out of the realm of mere history and theory and forget about category A and category B, and let's try to find as many things as we can for our own life, because that's the only reason God recorded all of this in His Word, because He has a message for us from the life of people like John the Baptist. There was a man... The scripture says, there was a man sent from God. Now, we could just stop right there, think on that a while, and that would be enough for the rest of today. Look at Adel. We're not going to do it, though. (laughs) But that's enough, just to be sent from God, a man sent from God. 
wasn't sent from the government. He wasn't sent from the theological seminary. He was sent from God. Because when God had something to say, he had to find a man. The first thing he had to teach him, Brother Ron led right into my message this morning when he was given the, the class. And he didn't know what I was going to say. And I didn't know what he was going to say. But the Holy Spirit knew it, didn't he, brother? Y'all are going to study about servants now in the, in the Bible memory class. And the first thing about a servant is, if he's going to be a good servant, the first thing about a servant is, he has to be obedient. If you're going to serve somebody else, he's got to do what they want him to do. And not only that, he's, if he's a good servant, he does it the way they want him to do it. And when? And that's exactly what John the Baptist was. God had to prepare him. And the things that God did to prepare John the Baptist are things that he wants to do in, in another way here in our day and time to prepare us. The principles that operated in John's life are principles that can operate in our lives. And God has a message. And God wants it to reach the people. But oh, how hard it is to find people who will say what God says. Who won't mess with the message. You know what happens when uh, the president or somebody speaks on the television and then the hour after he spoke, all the different news networks have their experts who all thought they should have been the president. And they're all analyzing and picking apart and telling all of us stupid people what the president really meant to say. Because even though he's the president, he don't know how to talk. He don't know what he wanted to say. So that's why they have all this whole team of analysts that get on the average and they tell you what he really meant and what this meant and what that meant. And we're all sitting there going... Oh, I didn't get that out of it at all. Boy, I sure am glad we have all these smart analysts to tell us what things really mean. How can a person get elected to be a president of the United States if he doesn't know how to say what he means? Well, this happens in spiritual things, too. God says what he means. But a lot of people, and we're going to get to that today, a lot of people who claim to speak for him or claim to know what he said, don't give the message like God gave it. And so they're not obedient servants. God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman. God is looking for a young person who will take his word from him and live it like an obedient person and give it out exactly like it is without touching it, without changing it, without, like it says in the book of Revelation, adding anything to it or taking anything from it. Just what God said. And to not go beyond what has been written. John the Baptist was that kind of man. But God had to prepare him. And God sent a man like John because the nation of Israel needed him. And he was prophesied. God who knows the future and the and the past is all the same to him. He lives outside of our perspective of time. And he could look down the miles and the years of what we call the future and see the conditions in the nation of Israel when it came time for God to send his great blessing, the Lord Jesus Christ. When it came time for the Messiah that was prophesied from the book of Genesis on to come into the world. And that tremendous blessing that God wanted to send his people. And they weren't ready to receive it. Now, there's someone here today, I'm sure of it, that God has more blessing for you than you're ready to receive. The main reason why God can't bless his people is because of his people. It's not because God's blessings have run out, his account is low, or his power is gone, or his love is cold. God can't bless his people if they're not in a condition to receive the blessing. And so that's why God sent John the Baptist. He sent him to prepare the way of the Lord. And he was foretold in the Old Testament. This is the first thing we want to think about. The prophet was foretold. And let's go back to the book of Malachi. Because really to get ready for John the Baptist, we have to go back and we have to think about the conditions in Israel 
and the prophecies that told of his coming. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like the fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former days, and I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the false swearers, against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn against aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. These were the conditions that existed in the nation of Israel 400 years before Christ came. Malachi is at the end of the prophets because his prophecy is, chronologically speaking, the last of them. His, his prophecy fits in in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah shortly thereafter, the time of the reconstruction of the temple when the children of Israel had returned from captivity. The temple had been built and they had settled into their routine again in the land, but already their hearts had grown cold. And the book of Malachi is a book in which God has to speak. He uses the prophet Malachi, four chapters, to speak to the people and to tell them why he can't bless them. And in that condition, the book that ends with the word curse, chapter 4 and verse 6, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The book that ends with the word curse and the Old Testament that ends with the word curse. In that condition, the nation of Israel was left under the threat of the coming of the Lord in judgment and the curse and the, and the expression of his displeasure with the people that profess to know him. But that the Old Testament Scriptures conclude. God wanted to bless His people, but they weren't ready to receive a blessing. He has to say to them in the book of Malachi, For I am a great king. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered to my name for my name shall be great among the heathen, says the Lord of hosts, but you have profaned it. He said to his people, when Malachi wrote those words, do you know what was going on in Jerusalem? That was the time they had built this reconstructed temple. And the priests were complaining about taking the offerings in. Behold, what a weariness it is, they said. Like people to say today, oh, got a Sunday, go to church again. I could be out on the bay sailing. I could be up in the mountains. <sighs> Behold what a weariness it is. History repeats itself, doesn't it? And you all know that saying that those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, this is the condition that they were in. God wanted to bless them. Oh, but it was a weariness. They didn't like it. And they weren't doing the things that God told them to do. And their heart was not in it. And the people were going through the motions. But that was all. It was a paltry, pathetic, pitiful sacrifice and service that was being offered in Jerusalem in that poor reconstruction temple. 
into which the glory never came, on whose altar the fire never descended from heaven. There it was. And at that time, friends and brethren, at that time in Athens, you know what was happening? Some of you are pretty good students of world history, I suspect. What was happening in Athens at that time? They were building the Acropolis. Anybody here ever travel in Europe and see the Acropolis? I know you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, all you have to do is get online and type in there in Google, type Acropolis, Athens, and there it is. You can go see it this afternoon if you want to. All of that in its glory was being built at that time. This huge complex that covered the whole mountain there to, the, to um, Athena and to all the other gods and goddesses of which there were a multitude. All these temples, just one stuck to the other, nearly piled on top of each other. This tremendous complex that was being built there at that time. No cost was spared. And to this day, it stands as one of the marvels of ancient architecture. And I've been there and walked through it and seen it. And and even the ruins are amazing. Just imagine what it was like in in the day of its glory. Well, the day of his glory was the day when Malachi lived. That's what was happening in the other part of the world. When Malachi had to write this and speak to the children of Israel about their disinterest in the Lord's temple and the Lord's offerings and in the Lord's word and doing what his word had told them. At that very time, the Gentiles were knocking themselves out to build in the city of Athens this huge temple complex with all of these offerings and services. The gods and goddesses that don't even exist. It's just stone and wood and plaster and gold and silver metal. Don't even exist. They have eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear, feet that can't walk. They have to be carried. And to this day in Spain, when they have the week of Easter, they still take all the images out of the temples around town there, the Catholic temples, and they put the images on their shoulders and they carry them through the streets. And they line up to do it because the images can't walk and it just doesn't get into their head. This thing can't walk. You're having to carry it. And one year they carried it down the street in the town that we lived in. They had this big image of Jesus. Supposedly he had his arms out like this and they carried him over to the plaza where they had a statue to the Virgin Mary. And they took him over there and they're walking him down the street and he's going along like this on the... And they, and they, they get over there in front of the Virgin Mary and they turn him around to the Virgin Mary and, they, and the men carried the thing. They started moving like this. They made the image of Jesus dance in front of the image of Mary, carrying it back and forth like this. And then they turned to go and as they turned to go, one of his arms hit one of the light poles there and it broke off. It broke and fell on the street, cracked. And one of the brothers in the church there wrote a little tract about it. He called it Jesus of the Broken Hand. Is that your Jesus? This is what they do. In that part of the world, it still goes on. In that part of the world, you can still see. If you come to Spain, we'll show you sometime. None of you have done it yet. But, they'll, but we'll show you the high places, the temples built to, to gods and goddesses that they call saints now. They have special powers to intercede for and bless and help people instead of going to the one true and living God. And they're all up on these hills. And mountains, they put them up there, the high places. This is what they were doing. In Malachi's day, the Lord has to say, I can't bless you because you're not ready to receive the blessing. Not because I don't want to bless you, but because you're not in a condition to receive it. And apparently, in response to Malachi's message, there were reforms at that time. But the people of Israel soon fell into the routine that they had before. And so we passed from there 400 years of silence. Nothing else is said. That little page you have in your Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that page that's blank represents, or that little blank space on that page represents 400 years. Nothing from God during that time. And we come to the New Testament. Luke chapter 7. 
Luke chapter 7, verse 24. When the messengers of John were departed, he being the Lord Jesus, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went you out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in the king's courts. Well, he didn't live in the 20th century or he wouldn't have said that. Or 21st century, excuse me. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Well, guess what he's quoting when he says that? Malachi 3. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. For I say unto you that among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The prophet Malachi prophesied to the people of Israel that a day would come when God would send a man. And apparently they had forgotten it. I will send a man. I will send my messenger. He says in Malachi 3.1. And in John 1, we just read that this morning. He says... There was a man sent from God. That man is John. <clears throat> Why was he sent? He says to prepare the way. Implication. It wasn't prepared. They weren't ready. Preparations had not been made. Hearts were not prepared. The spirit was not prepared. The nation was not prepared. The people were not prepared to receive what God was about to do. And so he had to send a man to prepare the way. That's John. John was not the man who brought the blessing. John was the man who presented the blessing. The blessing was the Lord Jesus. The blessing was the incarnation of God's Son who came into this world and one day John was able to stand and point to him as a grown man and say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But the people were not ready to receive that blessing. And so God sent John. Behold, I will send my messenger, he says. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I will send my messenger. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. A messenger has to have a message. He can't get up in front of the people, and they didn't do that back then, and, and stick his hands in his pants pockets and begin to fumble his change around and say, Well, you know, uh, it's really great, you know, to believe in God. I just wanted to share with you that, uh, that you know, God loves us and just kind of fumble around and not have anything to say. If he's sent from God, the very first thing God did when he sent him was he gave him a message. Go say this. And you can be sure that the things we're going to read that came out of the mouth of John the Baptist were things that God told him to say. And so for a person to be a messenger, one of the things that that person has to learn is... Yeah, but even before that, he has to learn to listen. He's got to receive the message. He's got to listen. He's got to learn to pay attention. He's got to get it right. Have you ever done that in a, in, in a party or a gathering in, in homes? You sit around and say, okay, now one person's going to start and he's going to whisper a message in somebody in the ear of the person next to him. And that person, you get, don't say it twice, and that person whispers it to the next one. And by the time he gets around the room, the last person stands up and tells what he heard. And it's not anything like what the first person said. You've got to get it right. God's messengers have to get it right. And that's why as believers, if God wants us to be his messenger, and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
God wants us to be his messengers. He said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. God's looking for messengers. Not people who are having visions and hearing voices, but people who know what his word says. You know, we live in a world that tries the best it can to take away your time and your desire to read this book and to know what this book says. And even people who call themselves Christians, they look at the idea of reading the Bible and they say, just like in Isaiah's day, behold what a weariness it is. Just think I could be watching Survivor or whatever. I don't even know what all the shows are because I don't watch them. Ah, there's a lot of good stuff out there, they tell me. Yeah, well, I suppose you could go down to the trash can, and if you went through it, you could find a few good things in there. Some people do. You see them in Spain, you know, you see the head down in there and the feet hanging out of the trash container, and they're sorting through it. But I'm not going to take my family down there to eat just because you can find something good in there. That's not where I go looking for food. And the world does that. The enemy of our souls is a master of keeping us from being messengers because we don't know the message or because we know part of it, but we're unsure of it. We're unsure of ourselves, our ability to proclaim it, our ability to defend it, our ability to explain it. We don't know the message. And so we can't be a messenger. And we don't know the message. Why? Because God isn't speaking to us? Uh Uh-uh. Because we're not listening. We're not listening. We're going to come to that. Later on, as we get into John's life, Lord willing, tomorrow night. But this is the thing. God is looking for a messenger. He was in those days, and He is in our days. And He has said to us, and we have the example in the New Testament of churches, of entire groups of believers who spoke and witnessed and testified the Word of God. That's the way it was. He said to the Thessalonian church, we don't have any need to speak of you because everyone around witnesses to you. How, how you received the Word of God and how it went out from you. They proclaimed it. They were a church that knew God's Word and they proclaimed it. And that's what you ought to be known for. Behold, I will send my messenger. Well, we're not living in days before the Lord's first coming. But we're living in days before the rapture and the second coming. And the world around us needs to hear the message of God and brothers and sisters the time is short it would be an awful thing to be able to, to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and to say well the only thing I knew to talk about was what I saw on CNN you think in heaven people are going to be standing around talking about the latest game that comes out for the Xbox oh I just stepped on somebody's toes I'm sorry let me get off But I mean, do you really think in heaven that those are the things that are important? We have an important message. And if we know the message, if we have the message and if it has us, then that message in itself has a purifying effect on our lives. And it helps us to concentrate, to focus on what we're supposed to be doing and to do the right thing. John was God's messenger. Behold, I send my messenger. A lot of people come, they're their own messenger. They have an agenda. They want to make a statement. They have a a philosophy they want to proclaim. They have some concept they want to instill in other people. John didn't have that, and God's messengers don't have that. They have God's Word to give. And what they give is God's Word, and God help them if they start mixing their Word with God's Word. My messenger, he said. Come over to Malachi chapter 4 because that's the second place in the Old Testament where he speaks of John the Baptist. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And the heart of the children to the fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's the last promise of the Old Testament. 
Isn't it wonderful how different the New Testament is? The last words of the New Testament are so different from the last words of the Old Testament. But in between those two is the cross of Calvary, where all that curse was taken away. He says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, right now, we have to stop and ask a question and answer it, face it and answer it honestly. Does the Bible teach reincarnation? Some people have used this verse to say it does. He says he said he's sending Elijah the prophet. And that's the only time they ever believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible. Everything else you tell them where they say, oh, but that's just an allegory or, no, no, but it's said. He sent Elijah the prophet. So that means he was reincarnated in John. That's what they believe. The Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. The scripture speaks very clearly about it. In Hebrews 9, it says, it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Now, how good is your math? Well, that's not even math. That's arithmetic. Addition and subtraction. How good is it? It is appointed unto man once to die. There's one piece of candy on the plate. There's one piece of broccoli. Sorry, Adel, I meant to say broccoli. One. Once to die. How many times will you live? And how many times would you die? The Bible says once. You only go around once. How we can confuse the simple things of the Scripture. There's no reincarnation. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. This verse is explained. Luke 1, 17. We can, uh, we can begin back in verse 16 or 15 if you want. And tomorrow evening, Lord willing, we're going to, be, we're going to begin to work our way through Luke chapter 1. But he says here in verse 15, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, or Elias. It means the same thing. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That verse is directly linked to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And do you know who said that? Who's talking here? And those of you who are real certain about it, just hold on a minute. Let's let the rest of them think about it. Who's talking here? Who's saying this? When you read the Bible and you want to understand a verse, you have to ask yourself questions about it. You have a question mark for a brain. That doesn't mean you question the validity of the Bible, it means you learn to bombard it with questions. Say, who said that? When did they say it? Who did they say it to? What, what were the conditions they were talking about? You ask reporter-type questions, newspaper reporter-type questions to find out information. So who's talking here? It's the angel Gabriel. He's the messenger of God. He's not going to get this text confused. He's, he's God's angelic messenger. He's sent here to the father of John the Baptist, just like later on he's going to go to Mary, the mother of our Lord. He's on the first of his, his two messenger missions in the book of Luke. And he's the one who applies this verse and who quotes right from Malachi chapter 4 and applies this verse to the life of John the Baptist. When the Lord said he, was, he would send Elijah, this is what he meant. Let the New Testament interpret and clarify the Old Testament. And here we have it. He shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So he didn't reincarnate Elijah, and he didn't, uh, he didn't raise him from the dead. He, gave, he brought up another man to whom he gave the spirit and the power of Elijah. He said, oh, well, there it is, the spirit of Elijah. No, that doesn't mean Elijah's spirit. Don't confuse things. It doesn't mean Elijah's spirit. What happened when Elijah died? He didn't die. He went up into heaven in the chariot. 
And they were standing down there, Elisha looking up. And he, was, he had his eyes fixed on the prophet because he had been asked, what do you want me to give you or do for you before I go? And he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want a double portion of your spirit. And they said, if you see me, you've asked a difficult thing, but if you see me when I'm taken up, then it'll be yours. And so from that point on, Elisha was like, you know, I wonder about, us sometimes if sometimes we don't miss God's blessing simply because we don't pay attention I worry about people who go to sleep in meetings people who are distracted maybe they're not asleep but and sometimes you can't help it and I'm not talking I haven't seen anybody sleeping today so if anybody's sleepy don't think I'm getting but sometimes you can't help it you've been up too long and the speaker's boring and the lights are dim and but you know, it's an awful thing to miss something just because you didn't pay attention. Elisha was watching. He was with him. He was right beside him. He wouldn't leave his side for anything because he wanted that blessing. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like a sense of need to make you pay attention to what God is doing and saying. And a lot of times we don't. That sense of need and that desire to have a blessing from God. And he had it. And so he's following along and Elijah's taken up. And what happened then? Elijah's spirit, or the person of Elijah came down and lived in Elisha? No. When it says his spirit, it doesn't mean his identity as a person. It means the attitude and the perception and the... And the his, um, how would you say that? His atmosphere of fellowship with God, his way of serving the Lord, his spirit in that sense. It doesn't mean his person came and lived in Elisha. We don't believe that. He got a double portion of that spirit, that fervor, that love, that loyalty to God, that desire to do God's will and to speak his word plainly. That was the spirit of Elisha, of Elijah, and it came to Elijah. And in the New Testament, he says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here was a man that God was making, you could say. He gave him, he was a, he was a gift, an answer to prayer to a couple that was beyond the point in life where they could bear children. And God, in this miraculous way, he answered their prayer and he gave them a son in their old age and God raised that child. God brought that child into the world to serve him. And he had the spirit and the power of Elijah. He had that spirit of love for God, of fear of God, of fellowship with God, of attention to God's voice, of enthusiasm for God. And as one man said, I think it was A.T. Robertson when he wrote about John the Baptist, he called him John the Loyal. Not John the Baptist, he called him John the Loyal. When we say Baptist, we don't mean Baptist like Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian. We don't mean that. It means John the Baptizer because he baptized the people. That's where the name comes from. It didn't mean he was the, the pastor of the first Baptist church down by the Jordan River. It just meant John the Baptizer. So that was the name. that's the name we give him. But A.T. Robinson called him John the Loyal. He was loyal to God. And I like that name. You see, all of these things form the, the composite, uh, we might say, of John's character. He had the spirit and the power of Elijah. Because when a person fears God, they don't fear anything else. The fear of God will deliver you from the fear of men. Proverbs says, the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever puts his trust in the Lord will be safe. So this is John, the spirit and the power of Elijah, cited by Gabriel here. But then later on in Matthew 11, let's go over to Matthew chapter 11. And in verses 12 to 14, I believe, chapter 11, the Lord speaks. Then... 
Verily, uh, verse 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there are not risen a greater, a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was to come. Now, what's difficult about that to understand? There it is, from Gabriel and from the Lord Jesus, that the life of John the Baptist, his ministry, his spirit and power of his ministry, were the fulfillment of that promise that was given so long ago, 400 years before God promised a man, and God sent him. And sometimes, brethren, God's promises take time. 400 years it took. Sometimes they take time, but I'll tell you this. God never made a promise that he doesn't keep. Even though it takes time sometimes for that point to come where God does what he promised to do. He has never failed to keep a promise. And everything that he promised in this book, he's going to do. And what he hasn't done is just because the time hasn't come yet. But God keeps his promises. God is loyal. God is faithful. He's a faithful friend, and all of his word is faithful. Well, this is the prophecy in the Old Testament, and this uh, in itself tells us, if we want to think about it, about the need for the prophet. We said the prophet was foretold, but the prophet was needed, and we saw that in, in Matthew, and that's the second point. We saw it in Matthew. We saw it in Malachi especially, the conditions in which the nation of Israel was living at the time when that prophecy was given. And those were basically the same conditions in which the nation was found at the time when, our, when John came and our Lord came. In 400 years, they hadn't gotten any better. Conditions that I, as I think about it, have to compare to the times that we live in. Someone said America is living on the momentum of a godly ancestry. And when that momentum runs out, God help America. And that's pretty much the way it is in the evangelical community. Evangelicals today, I believe, are living on the momentum of a godly ancestry. We read about and admire the things that they said and taught and wrote and did. But evangelicals today don't look anything like they did back then. And if 400 years had gone by in the Old Testament, you can look at all the years that have gone by since the days of the Reformation. Since the days of the rise of the evangelical church and the great preachers of the, of the century gone by and the century before that, the 18 and the 1900s, men whose books and whose sermons are classics. And you look around today and you say there's not really much that's their equal. We run on the momentum of a godly ancestry. And that momentum is running out. In Malachi's day, people that had been blessed by God to be called his people and put into that place of privilege, and as we said before, they, they said, Behold, what a weariness it is. God had to speak to the priests about the way they brought the offerings and the people about the way they brought the offerings. Then he had to speak to the priests about the way uh, they failed to represent him. In chapter 2, he took the priest to task. He talks about the priests in the old days. He said the priest's lips should, should keep knowledge. And they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. There that is again, that idea of the messenger. That's what the priests were supposed to be. Well, in the New Testament, we're all priests. We say we believe in the priesthood of all believers. But the only thing we can think of that that means is that everybody ought to have the right to get up and preach. But that's not what the priest did primarily. The priesthood of all believers 
If you go back to the book of Malachi and you see the things the priests did, you say, well, if we're priests, then we ought to be doing this. What should we be doing? The priest's lips should keep knowledge. They should seek the law at his mouth. It means people should be able to come to him and find out what the Word of God says because he's the person who knows it. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But, he says to the priest, you are departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as you have not kept my ways, but have become partial in the law. And he goes on and on in chapter 2, and he brings out the failings of the priests to walk with God, to live holy lives, to keep their vows, their marriage vows. And in chapter 3, he promises that he's going to send his messenger and that the Lord is going to come to his temple suddenly. But he says, who will be able to bear his coming? You see, this is the problem. The people in Malachi's day and the people in John's day were not ready to receive the blessing and that's why God had to send a messenger. And many times God in order to be able to bless, has to do this kind of work. He has to send a message and he has to find someone who can send it. And we can take this and apply it not just to conditions in the evangelical Christianity today, but we can apply it in a much more fundamental way to the simple fact of the gospel. God has a message. He needs for it to be faithfully delivered. People need it. God has a blessing He wants to give. But a person who does not know God's message, a person who does not know God's way, cannot receive the blessing from God. God doesn't want to condemn people. God wants to bless them. But the question is, are you ready to receive God's blessing? Do you know the message? And those of us who know it, are we giving it? Are we making sure they get the message that will prepare the way of the Lord and the lives of the people around us? That preparatory work has to be done. And then there is the other question, and with that we'll close. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 30 to 33, he sent the prophet Ezekiel to the people and he said to Ezekiel, the people will come before you as my people and sit as the people do. And they will hear your word, but they will not do it. He said, for you are unto them as one who uh, can speak well or play upon an instrument. It's like oratory or like uh, just listening to someone who can sing or play for entertainment. They will hear your word, he says, and they will not do it. So God prepares his messengers. He's done it through time. But that doesn't guarantee the blessing. Even that doesn't guarantee the blessing. Because you know what? And listen, get this straight. We were talking about this last night. I want to make sure you get this. God cannot help people who do not want to be helped. He can't do it. And if you don't think you need to be helped, and if you don't want God's help, and if you think everything is okay, and maybe you just need a few minor fine-tuning adjustments here and there, if you don't need God's help, then you're not listening to his message. God can't help people who don't want to be helped. And the people in Ezekiel's day were not ready to be helped. The people in Jeremiah's day were not willing to be helped. They weren't ready to be helped. Oh, tell us, Jeremiah, go and seek the face of the Lord and tell us, should we go down into Egypt? Jeremiah went away and he came back to the people a few days later and he said, this is the word of the Lord. Read my lips. Do not go to Egypt. Now, what's difficult to understand about that? You know what they said? It's not the word of the Lord. For we will surely go to Egypt. And they went. That was just a formality they were going through. They weren't interested in what God had to say or God's messenger. They already had their little plan worked out that they wanted to live by. And they were just looking for him to give them the rubber stamp approved on their plan. See. So we talked about the condition of God's people and the prophecy of God's messenger coming. But with this, we want to close today and we want to think how important this is. We must have, in order to receive the blessing from God, we must have a heart that is open to the Word of God. We must be able to say like Samuel, that boy, when he heard...
that voice calling him, and he went over to Eli the priest, and he woke him up, and he said, go back to sleep, I didn't call you, and he pretty soon, pity patty, pity patty, here he comes down the hall again, and he wakes up the old man again, he's probably laying there in the bed snoring, and he said, no, go away, I didn't call you, and finally, the next time it begins to dawn on the priest, maybe it's the Lord, so he says to Samuel, the next time it happens, he said, you say, you say this, and this is what Israel needed to say. And this is what every person who wants to be a messenger of the Lord has to be able to say. And every person who's been faithful to the Lord in their life has had to learn to say what that little boy had to learn to say that night. Speak, Lord, for thy servant hear it. pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to look at it together. And we do pray that as we look into the life of John the Baptist, you will bless our own lives, that you will touch us and show us the places and where we need to change. You will speak to those who have not received your message of truth and salvation in Jesus Christ, and we pray that this would be a time when we would learn this very simple statement of Samuel, this very simple request. Speak, Lord, for thy servant here. Speak to our hearts through your word and have complete liberty to touch our lives and to change them for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.